All right, so if you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, last week, we looked at what God can do through the life of Moses. We looked at how God protected him, how God humbled him, how God called him, equipped him, and how God sent him. Um, Moses' life is a picture of how the numerous obstacles we face the, the supposed failures we encounter, as well as the creative excuses we have, how God can take such things, a loving God can take such things and use them to, to shape and, and develop and support those that are his. In like manner, the same numerous obstacles, the same, uh, I guess, okay, supposed failures and, and the same creative excuses we experience can be a tool through which the Lord Jesus Christ can take and shape and develop and support us too. And what's exciting, especially as we look at reconnecting in person next week, I think it's really exciting how what God was able to do through today's character via the example Moses set for him. So today we're going to look at Joshua from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and, and 31. Well, actually, Joshua and Rahab. And we can look at the example from their lives of how God can once again take, shape, mold, and develop them in their relationship with him. So in today's reading, we're going to look at two people who, by God's direct involvement, was able to move them into the unknown and then enable them to stand by God's grace when confronted by the unknown. And those are the two characters of Joshua and Rahab. So chapter 11 of Hebrews, verses 30 and 31, we read this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I just want to bow your heads, open a word of prayer, and let's see what the Lord has to tell us about moving into the unknown and being confronted by it as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you that we can learn from the examples given in your word, and we can learn by the lives that you have transformed around us. We ask now that as we look into the scriptures, you might minister to our hearts. You might meet us where we're at. You might challenge us where change needs to be made, and you might develop our intimacy and grow us in our relationship with you. Please have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, verse 30. We're going to look at Joshua and what I call moving into the unknown. Now, it's easy for me to look at Joshua and think how easy he had it by being Moses' right-hand man. I mean, he got to bear witness to some amazing things. He got to bear witness to the hand of God delivering Israel from bondage in Egypt. He got to bear witness to the parting of the Red Sea, and then straight after see the destruction of Pharaoh's army. He saw the pillar of fire by night and the cloud of smoke 
by day. He saw God provide in so many ways. He, the, the providing of, of manna from heaven. There was quail on the ground. There was water from the rock. He got to bear witness to all that. He got to see the bronze serpent heal. The, the, the bitter waters made sweet. He got to see Moses' face shine. He got to be in the mount when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Then not only that, he got to see the, I guess you could say, the destruction of the rebellious who worshipped the golden calf and then refused to repent. He got to see all this and more as God was preparing Joshua for the call that he was going to place on his life to lead God's people into the unknown. For some reason I have Frozen 2 stuck in my head now. But to lead God's people into the unknown. Now, granted, granted, every circumstance that I mentioned here is a moving into the unknown, but the writer of Hebrews specifically mentions this event regarding Jericho in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. I'll read it one more time, okay? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. Now, like always, as we've done over the last couple of weeks, we've been going back to the actual account in the various books of the Bible. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking back at Joshua. So Joshua had already had his faith tested at the crossing of the Jordan. You look at Joshua 3 for that. And Joshua is called to lead, lead the people with this promise being made to him by God in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, that, that he will be with Joshua just as he was with Moses. And so when he's confronted by the, the Jordan River, God gives him the specific instruction. And I, I was at Mel and Ben's Bible study the other night, and we were actually looking at Joshua a few weeks ago, and just the statement of, of trust that Joshua had to follow through on in what God asked of him. Because when it came to crossing the Jordan, he said to Joshua, Step into the Jordan, then you'll see me move. That is a massive step of faith because at least Moses had the Red Sea part before he stepped out. God tells Joshua, now you step first, then I'll move. And I heard a preacher once say how a lot of us wait for the most ideal positions to take place before we'll step out by faith and do what God asks of us. When that's not always the case. I think for a lot of us as Christians today, we are to be Joshua's and step out by faith first and then see God move as opposed to waiting for the ideal circumstances before we step out. So that's, it's a matter of us. One is just trusting God and his word. Sometimes though with what happened with Moses, God says, I'll do this for you first. I think that's a really important fact that we need to take, uh, take into account. So this was him literally, literally stepping out by faith. If you look at Joshua chapter three, verse seven, and it's not until then that God moves. So they cross the Jordan and I guess you could say the call or the challenge or even maybe some of the doubts that Joshua may have had, those don't really get taken care of until this first obstacle is addressed. And that obstacle is called Jericho. I, I, I look at Israel, I look at Joshua and how they spent fleeing fleeing Egypt, how they spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness, and now they get to claim the inheritance that God has laid out for them in the promised land. I mean, they were fleeing from Egypt. 
that that was left behind. They were departing. They were leaving the old way of life and departing captivity. Now they're moving into the promised land, called the promised land because of just that. It was promised to them. Um, If you look at Numbers chapter 27 verse 12 and Numbers 33 verse 53, uh, as well as Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 8 and verse 21, it is God saying, I have given you this land. It is yours. It is yours by divine inheritance. And it was in fact that was confirmed by the inhabitants of Jericho when the spies meet up with Rahab in in Joshua chapter 2 verse 9 and says, we know that God has given you this land. So they knew that. The spies go back and tell Joshua in Joshua chapter 2, verse 24, and they go, This is how they're feeling about it, but it's not actually committed, not actually cemented in their minds and in their hearts. It's not fully accepted until that obstacle is dealt with. That obstacle of Jericho that stood in front of them. So I had a look at Jericho. I had a look online as to what it actually was like, and an archaeologist's rule of thumb is that. For every square acre of land, is about 200 people. So apparently Jericho was about the size to fit comfortably about 1,200. But because of its defensive capabilities, because of its walls that we hear so much about, they say a lot of people actually went there uh, for protection. So it actually boosted their population to about 4,000. It was surrounded by two walls. There was an outer retaining wall, which was about four meters high. On top of that four-meter retaining wall, there was another four-meter wall that was about two meters thick. Then there was this large embankment, and some people actually stayed within that embankment, a large embankment where there was another wall of four meters high as well and two meters thick. So from ground level, from ground level to the top of the second wall, you're looking at about 12 meters high, what these walls are, which is roughly from the floor about what the ceiling is to this. That's about the distance or the height of what the walls are of Jericho. There was a, uh, what's it, the Encyclopedia Britannica, I had a look at it. They actually said that it was set up to protect from intruders a, a water supply as well as the people that were inside of it. And they ascribed this as early technology, technology for purely military purposes. So after all that babbling that I just gave you, Basically what it's saying is this, that it was a formidable, fortified position that was now standing in front of Israel. Which got me thinking, what is your Jericho? What is that which prevents you from claiming or living in the divine inheritance that has been promised to you in Jesus Christ? We are told, and I want to clarify this, the promised land does not represent heaven. Because in the promised land, there is struggle. You don't have struggle in heaven. In the promised land, there are battles. You don't have battles in heaven. What the promised land represents for us as Christians, for those of us who trust in Christ, it represents the abundant life given to us in Christ. Therefore, what is the Jericho that prevents, that prevents us from living in the abundance we have been promised in Christ? That's the, that's the unknown that faced Joshua and the people of Israel now. It's the unknown that the whole nation 
are actually experiencing. Because they are a, a nation of people that have been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. They now cross the river, and now they are faced with this massive obstacle that God says, this is what you must take down because I have given it to you. So they had this huge thing that is facing them. And so with the city in front of them and the wilderness behind, with the failures to learn from in the past and the blessing of God's promise and before, Joshua is in the best position possible to move into the unknown. And so what happens? You read in Joshua 5 how he sort of goes off by himself. And while he's off by himself, he encounters someone. It actually says he can, it's near Jericho, where he goes off by himself and he's near Jericho. Now, I don't know about you. I, I know that sometimes when there are issues going on, if there are obstacles, if there are struggles, if there are hardships, sometimes I just go off by myself to give me some time to think. And I think this is what Joshua is doing. The Lord Jesus does it himself when he goes off and he prays. While Joshua is off by himself, he looks, and in verses 13 to 15 of chapter 5, we read how he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with his sword drawn. Joshua goes up and asks him, are you for us or for our enemies? To which this person replies in verse 14, neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua falls down in reverence and asks, what message does my Lord have for his servant? To which the commander says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So when Joshua was presented with the unknown, when Joshua appeared to take some time away from the busyness of what's going around, going on and, and think about it, what was in front of him, it was there that God himself in the face of the unknown, made himself known to Joshua. I think sometimes we have to be put in that same situation where there are things that we don't understand, there are things that we don't fully comprehend, there are things about the unknown where we just, we feel bound and restricted where God will reveal himself to us to us because he brings us to the end of ourselves he brings us to the end of our resources it's when we're faced with the unknown that God reveals how little we do know it's when when we're faced with the unknown that God reveals how little we are capable of you know, Joshua had military experience yes but to take out a heavily fortified city uh, exposed how much they fell short in like manner same with our circumstances and our lives. How we're exposed for not being fully prepared. How we're exposed for having too little knowledge. We're exposed for being unable to help in any way or even if we're just suffering from doubt. And while I don't know what Joshua's trying to think up, I do know that the Lord spoke to him specifically for the context he was in. Something that we all long for, long for is to hear the voice of God. Something we all long for is, is an answer to something that we don't fully quite comprehend. But God in his grace and in his way will make things known if we are willing to listen. If we will actually put our own ego aside and be sensitive to what the Spirit says. 
it's the whole reason why Psalm 46 says to be still. It's not just be still for the sake of being still, but it's to be still and know that he is God. To put ourselves in his will, to put ourselves in his hands. Richard Foster has this great quote, God spoke to them, meaning the saints of old, not because they had special abilities, but because they were willing to listen. God spoke to them not because they had special abilities, but because they were willing to listen. And what did the Lord speak to him? And this is found in Joshua 6, verses 2 to 5. He gives four words. He gives four words to Joshua in this unknown context that he finds himself. He gives a word of confirmation, a word of instruction, a word of equipping, and a word of proclamation. Four words that apply to us in our context as well. So read with me in Joshua chapter 6, verses 2 to 5. It says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, and this is the word of confirmation, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Followed by a word of instruction. March round the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. The second half of verse four says this. On the seventh day, march round the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Then we have a word of equipping in verse four. Make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark and then a word of proclamation in verse at the end of verse 5 make the whole army give a loud shout then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go, will go up everyone straight in now it's not the most ideal battle plan Joshua has been given uh, I mean at least at least in some of the other events when the sun stands still for Joshua or when he's fighting the Amalekites and, and Moses is up on the hill with her and Aaron who are holding up his hands while he prays. At least Joshua was doing something. I mean, he was swinging his sword. He was, he was fighting there. He was in the midst of the battle and he had some sort of input into both of those events. This one, there's none. This one, it's all about him trusting in what God has said, in the plan that he lays out. See, God confirms his inheritance, calls him to follow his instruction, equips him as he obeys that instruction, and then does the miraculous when he shouts. And that is why I think this is the event that the writer of Hebrews recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. Because it eliminates Joshua completely. I was speaking with the leaders on Thursday night, and I asked them that question. Why do you think, why do you think the writer of Hebrews, with everything that Joshua was a part of, that he focuses on this, or the writer of Hebrews focuses on this one event? And basically it was unanimous. All the leaders said, I think it's because this one had nothing of Joshua involved. This one was about him following instruction. This one was about him walking around the city. This was about him yelling when God says. This is about him following the Ark of the Covenant. This is about him resting and trusting in everything that God says. And that's why it's so important for us to follow that same example. That it doesn't change for you and I. Because in these four words imparted to Joshua are the same four words that are imparted to us, even as Christians, those of us who have trusted in Christ and what he has done for us. Even our salvation, it's nothing of us. 
Even our salvation is about us trusting in what he has done for us, about the life that he lived, about the, the fact that he died on a cross for me, the fact that he rose again from the dead. That's got nothing to do with it. All I'm told is to trust in him and the sacrifice that he had made. And now as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can have those same words imparted to me to live victoriously as well. That regardless of the unknowns that we're called to move into, regardless of the, of the obstacles that seem so overwhelming, those same four words. See, that word of confirmation that he gives Joshua, he says, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. He says to us the same confirmation when he says, in like John 16, 33, the second part, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4, when he says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In John 16, 8, 11, we read, when he comes, when the comforter comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Those are words of, of confirmation that, and I've shared this before in the past, that we are on the winning side, that we are more than conquerors, that this is what overcomes the world, even our faith. That is a word of confirmation that enables us to live in the victory that has been promised to us in Christ. That's our word of confirmation. And that's just one of many words of confirmation that are found within the scriptures. That's why Jono and, and, and Pastor Ben and Pastor John and, and your Bible study leaders, who they we always say, get into the word of God. Why? Because in the word of God are words that confirm us and our position in Christ, which enable us to live in the abundance victoriously. That's why. Because that is the word of confirmation given to us in Christ. Then you have this word of instruction applied to us. When he says to Joshua, march around the city in verse three, he also says to us, be holy because I am holy. 1 Peter 1.16. He says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse eight. None of us want to be unproductive in our life with Jesus. None of us want, want to be ineffective in our, in our lives with Jesus. He's given us the capacity as we follow his word and obedience to his instruction that we will be neither ineffective, neither unproductive in our knowledge of Christ. And, and we, we find out that this new command he gives us is that we love one another as he has loved us in John 13, 34. And these are just three of many instructions given to us within the word of God to enable us to live victoriously in the abundance promised us in Christ. So we have this word of confirmation. We have this word of instruction. We even have a word of equipping. He says to Joshua, make seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn. He also says to us how all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We read the scriptures so we might be equipped for every good work. That's what he's given us, this, this word of equipping. We are told as well in, in Ephesians 4, 16 and 17, how we are 
like if you read a little bit earlier, how we're given you know, pastors and evangelists and teachers, etc., etc., etc. In verse 16 of Ephesians 4, it says, From him the whole body joined and held together by supporting every ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We all play a part as the body of Christ to build up, to encourage. This is what's so exciting about next week. This is what's so exciting about what everybody's been doing during the lockdown. This is what's been so exciting about people getting together online for cell groups because everybody plays a part in equipping each other. Just as Joshua learned from Moses, we can learn from each other. We can be blessed as I see Caris learning and growing and, and standing strong. I'm, I'm, I'm picking out these names because they're the people in front of me right now. Okay, but I, I look and, and I see how God has grown Mel in, in, in her service. I see how God is actively working, in, and, and each of those workings plays a part in building my faith and building my spirit of encouraging my heart as I see God evident in their lives doing His work in each of them. Uh, the fact. If you read in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18 and 20, the fact that God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. We are part of each other. We are connected. We are part of the body of Christ, and we need to understand that. Because we have this word of confirmation, we have this word of instruction, we have this word of equipping, and just as he says to Joshua with the word of proclamation, make the whole army give a loud shout in verse 5, he says for us to do the same. Now granted, in Joshua chapter 6, it was them walking around and just yelling, just, ah! They weren't expecting it. Ah! But our, our shout of proclamation is God is great, that Jesus died and rose again, that we serve a living Savior, that my God loves me. We get to proclaim the beauty of Jesus Christ out loud. So just as he says to Joshua, give a loud shout, he says to us that we are to, to pray for each other that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ so that we can promote him. We are told, in, uh, but pray, pray that I may proclaim it clearly. In Colossians 4, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. That's Colossians 4, 3 to 5. We're told to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season. 2 Timothy 4, 2. What I, Jesus, tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops in Matthew 10, 27. And here's the thing. The reality of what you believe, the, the truth of what you believe, is evident in how it is expressed in what you do and in what you say. You say you know Jesus, then you'd proclaim that. You say you love Jesus, then that'd be reflected in what you say and in what you do. It's the expression. The expression of a love for someone is expressed in what is done. That's where the truth is revealed. And we're given this word of proclamation. See, the same God who gave Joshua a plan to take down a fortified city is the same game plan he gives to us to overcome strongholds through Jesus Christ. 
we often feel defeated. We often feel enslaved. We often feel trapped, more often than not by choices that we make. But he has given us the game plan from which that is overcome. How that can be defeated. As we follow the word of God, as we listen to the confirmation that's given to us in Christ, that we are more than conquerors. That we follow the instruction that we might keep his commandments. That we might be equipped with what he has given us by his spirit. And that we might then proclaim it as we speak life into each other's lives, life into those that are, are lifeless and don't know who Jesus is, as we speak life, as we sing praises and acknowledge him for the King of kings and the Lord of lords that he is. He's given us a plan to overcome that as well. And, and that is why Joshua's moving into the unknown is so significant. Because it didn't involve military might, but dependent trust. It didn't involve physical strength, but humble reliance. It didn't involve physical strength, but willful obedience as God told Joshua, don't swing a sword, walk around the city. As God told Joshua, don't shoot an arrow, blow some trumpets. As God told Joshua, don't hurl insults, yell as unto the Lord. Then, I will give you the city. I think that's what we need to be taught in our Christian lives. We need to be taught how to live lives of dependence, which is a big ask in a culture that admires and worships the self-made man. We need to be taught how to live lives with a mindset toward eternity when And that's a huge ask when we focus so much and so much of our attention on the temporary offerings of this world. We need to be taught how to walk in the spirit, how to live by faith and how to submit to God's will when it's so much easier to walk in the flesh, to live by what we see and to defy or reject what we don't fully understand. So there's this wonderful quote by a guy named, uh, I think it's Richard Coggan. Oh no, Donald, Donald Coggan, Donald Coggan. And he makes this comment. He says, I live my life as a transient on my way to eternity. Made in the image of God, but with that image debased. Needing to be taught how to think, how to worship, how to how to think, and how to honor God. And I think that's what we need to be taught with all of our, our, our own reliances, our, our own self-reliance. That we, I mean, we're always taught to be independent growing up, and, and we take that same mentality into our Christian life. We need to be taught the basics within our Christian lives where we need to be stripped away of, of all of ourselves so that God has the freedom to be who he is through us. I praise God for the the spiritual investment that he makes into Joshua because it's an investment he wants to make into us as well to to confirm his word in us, to instruct us in that word, to equip us through that word so that we might proclaim that word to to others of of the power of God that saves. 
I think that's what he wants to work within us. That is how we successfully move from the known into the unknown. That's why we can go into what we don't fully understand without fear. Because as Psalm 23 says, he is our shepherd and that we shall not want. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores our souls. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear evil because he is with us and his rod and his staff will they comfort us. That's what it means to move into the unknown. And, and I know I was gonna talk about what it means to be confronted by the unknown, but I'm gonna save that for next week. I think, I don't know if I've talked for ages already, but I want us to take this word this morning about moving into the unknown because it's not a matter of, of, of what we don't fully understand. Rather, it's who goes with us into the unknown. It's rather who walks alongside. It's rather who promises to support. It's rather who comforts us when we fail. It's about him who picks us up, brushes us off, and then calls us to move on. So it's not our, our focus being looking at this dark cave of what we do not see, but rather who stands next to us. I, okay, I, I remember, like even with the little ones that we have, so we have the twins over at our house. And I remember one time they were with us, just how they are fearful of going certain places. But as soon as I'm there, they're comforted. Why? Because Uncle Joe's there. And, and, and we walk together and there's no fear. And if they, if they feel even more upset or more apprehensive, then they say, can you pick me up? And I'll pick them up and I'll hold them and we'll go and see, they've got nothing to fear because I'm with you. That's what our Lord does with us. That's how our God walks alongside of us. That even though we don't fully understand, knowing that someone is there who holds my hand, who picks me up when I'm down, who's there to comfort me, that's what gets me through those times. That's what enables us to move in the unknown. That's what Joshua had to do. That's what he calls us to do. And honestly, I think when we respond and say, yes, Lord, let's go together, we're better off for it. Far better off for it. So if you look even at Psalm 23, look at Psalm 23 at the last half, of the, the half from verse five to the end of the Psalm, we read this. It says, as he comforts, as he leads, as he calls it to rest, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That regardless of what's around us, regardless of the hiccups, we will still enjoy the abundance that has been given to us in Christ. That's that's what makes moving in the unknown so exciting. And I pray that today, whatever it is that's facing you, that will be overcome as we follow the four words given to us by God as well, that he will confirm that word in us, that it'll instruct us in how it's done, that it'll equip us and able to be done so that we might proclaim boldly who he is and what he's done for us in Christ. Yeah, that's the challenge laid out before us. And I pray that we take that up, especially as we move into next week when we're all back and all these empty seats will be full. All right. So with that, bow your heads. Let's pray. And then we'll finish part two next week.
Father, we thank you so much for the example of Joshua. Thank you so much that you had called him to move into the unknown because you were with him, that you gave him a word of confirmation that he has already won the battle because you had fought for him, that you had given him a word of instruction, just like you give us a word of instruction, to walk in the ways that you have given us in your word and to follow those ways obediently. Father, that we will heed the word of equipping that you have given us all things we need to live a life of godliness, that we, Lord, might, might have no lack and understand that because we have no lack, we can walk in victory, and that we, as the word of proclamation, can proclaim your name as the God who has delivered us, as the God who has saved us, as the God that is continually developing us as we rest in you. I pray that this word given to us will help us to live, regardless of what faces us, to live in the power that is given to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray that that will be a reality made evident, not only in what is said, but also in what is done. So we commit ourselves to you now, and thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.